passage in Revelation 18. Revelation 18. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles on the back table. If you got it on your phone, pulling that out. So we continue, which is amazing. We are almost finished with this book. It's been awesome. Awesome for me. So, Revelation chapter 18. Or we just prayed uh, for those in Syria and Turkey and just experiencing right that this tragic earthquake uh, and just the, the aftermath that's following. And they're still to this day, right, pulling out people who are still alive. Maybe you read um, a story recently about a nine-year-old nine boy who got rescued this weekend, uh, and he was under a collapsed building where he was trapped for more than 120 hours. And so the rescue teams finally reached him through a tunnel that they dug to, to, to find survivors. And at the time, when, when they're digging that tunnel, they could only see his, ha- his head and his arm, but they couldn't, they couldn't pull him up. But because he needed uh, so bad to have, you know, to be replenished with, with, with liquids and whatnot, uh, while he was still trapped, they actually put an IV in him so that they could give him the vital fluids uh, that, that uh, he needed. And then eventually they were able to, um, to, to dig him out. Right? And, 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 and by God's grace, right, he, was, uh, he was rescued. He was freed from being trapped. Right? Unimaginable. Right? You can't imagine just being trapped for 120 hours and, and, and surviving that. Right? And the freedom that uh, he must have felt. Uh, must have celebrated. This morning, we're going to be talking about and thinking about the freedom that we have in Christ. The freedom that we have in Christ, where um, in a way, we too were trapped uh, because, of our, because of our sin against and our rebellion against our, our maker, all of humanity, right? Turned away from God. And, and because of that, right, sin came into our, our hearts and infected us. And we were unable to turn to God. We were stuck and trapped and needed to be rescued, right? As if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus came and he, he rescued us out of the rubble. And he um, forgave us of our sins, right? That he himself paid for on the cross, and he gave us new life when he rose from the dead. But uh, in a sense, we, we experience freedom now, like the boy who was pulled out of the rubble. We're, we're free from the fear of death, because we know that death leads us to the presence of God. We're free from the, the power of sin over our lives. So before Christ, uh, we just gave in to sin, to selfishness. But now, with the Holy Spirit in us, we have the power to say no. Where we have this amazing freedom that the Bible talks about. But yet, the complete freedom that the Bible talks about, we, we've yet to experience it. Kind of like the boy who was put out of the rubble, right? Even though he was rescued from, from that, he still lives in a world of starvation and of earthquakes, disease, and suffering. Right? He, he is not freed from that, just as we are not. We still uh, have sin in our lives that we're dealing with. We still live in a broken and fallen world. So the full freedom that the Bible talks about, we only have a partial taste of it. More than a Costco-sized sampling of it, but a partial taste of it. And what we're going to be thinking about this morning is what that fuller taste and picture of freedom is like as we read about the fall of, and continue reading about the fall of Babylon in chapter 18. 
Now, uh, just to refresh your memories, uh, when we read about this word Babylon, right, it was a cold word used in John's day. It was a cold word used in John's day. And when you read the Bible and you read the references of Babylon, Babylon came to represent a society, a kingdom that is opposed to God, that says, basically, I want to live my own life. I don't need God. Right? That word Babylon first appears in, in Genesis, where the people of the earth wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to show off how great they were, and so they wanted to build this big old tower to prove how awesome they were without God and his help. And you might know the story, right? God came down, he confused them so that they couldn't understand each other anymore, and so they all separated. That city where the tower was being built was called Babylon. That's the first mention of Babylon. So for us, when we think of Babylon, we should think about, okay, a society, an empire that wants to live away from God, apart from God doesn't want to be ruled by him. But Babylon also came to be known as, as a society that is opposed to Christians, opposed to God's followers. We read that in the book of Daniel, during the Babylonian Empire, right, when they were the dominant world power of the day under King Nebuchadnezzar, he forced everyone to worship a statue of him. And anyone who decided not to would be thrown into a fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, three Jewish young men, said, nope, we're going to worship the living God. And so they were thrown into the fire, and God miraculously rescued them, right? So Babylon, right, is a, is a society that opposes God and dependence upon him, but also opposes anyone who um, wants to follow God. So when we think about Babylon, right, have those two descriptions in mind, right? Um, so in, in chapter 18... John's going to continue to see the destruction of Babylon. Now, in John's day, when he heard Babylon, when the people hearing his message heard Babylon, they, they would think about the Roman Empire. If you read 1 Peter 5, Peter refers to Rome as Babylon, as Babylon. So we have to remember that, that for John and his listeners, they weren't thinking about this, some random future thing. They were thinking about the empire they're living under right then and there. Because Babylons have existed throughout human history, starting from the first one that built the tower. Rome was a Babylon. Egypt was a Babylon when they enslaved God's people. In Daniel's day, right, the Babylonian empire. Here's how one commentator put it to remind us that John and his listeners were thinking about Rome. He said this, remember that Rome is at the height, and I think I have a quote up here on the screen. Remember that Rome, I'll wait for that. Rome is at the height of her glory. She rules the world, and the nations serve her interests as obedient servants. Her power is unchallenged. Over against this mighty monolith stands a lonely prophet, that's John, in exile on a barren island in the Aegean Sea. As Rome carries on her opulent, her rich lifestyle, unaware of any impending danger, John sings her funeral dirge. In the past tense, Rome has fallen. The mighty city has become nothing but a haunt for evil spirits and unclean animals. Imagine how this message fell on the ears of believers in the seven churches that John was writing to. Facing persecution and loss, they are led to the prophetic spirit to understand that their oppressor will soon be destroyed. 
The future is not desolate, but filled with joyful expectation of the vindication of their faith. John's message could not have come at a more appropriate time. Right, so the people in John's day, when they heard John's message, they weren't freaking out. Like, oh my gosh. Like how some, some of us, maybe we, when we first read Revelation or heard about it, we're like, this is like a horror movie. No, for John's listeners, they would have been expectant, hopeful, that, that this oppressive empire they're living under it wasn't going to last forever. And sure enough, right, the Roman Empire, as in John's day, it, it, it's not around. Every beastly, every Babylonian-type empire will come to an end. Right? So as we have been reading through Revelation, the hope is that we wouldn't leave fearful of the book, but just like the, the first readers of, of John's day, expectant and hopeful because God is bringing about judgment on Babylon. So let's go ahead and jump in to Revelation chapter 18, starting with verse 1, as we continue to read about the fall of Babylon. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean beast and despicable, despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Right here, John's hearing about the fall of Babylon, and it's in the past tense. Why? Because that, it's just telling us that it is certain. It is guaranteed. Just as the Roman Empire fell in John's day, John's Babylon, we know that all all Babylonian-type empires, even the future one to come, will fall. It's certain. Every empire that says no to God will fall, has an expiration date. Let's read verse 4. It says this, Then I heard another voice from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. Right Again, Babylon is pictured as a prostitute. That's why you hear the word her. As she leads people away to worship her and worship the things that she promises, power and wealth and pleasure. And the people end up worshiping these things instead of worshiping God. And here's what we see, though, is there's a call in verse 4 to come out of Babylon. What that means is that even though God is bringing judgment upon the kingdoms of the world that oppose God, there's still time. There's still an opportunity to repent. That's the first thing that we want to see here, is that there's still time to repent to turn away from sin, from rebelling against God, and to trust in Jesus, his death and his resurrection on our behalf. The people in our lives who don't yet trust in Jesus, there is still time to repent, become a citizen of the kingdom and not a citizen of Babylon. It will fall, right? The kingdoms of Babylon will come to an end. But that ultimate end has yet to come. So there is still time. This is God's mercy on display. 
And as Babylon falls, what we're going to be thinking about in this chapter is the freedoms that God's people will experience because these worldly empires will come to an end. Let's look at verse 7 as it continues on. It says this, As much as she glorified, Babylon glorified herself and indulged in her sensual and excessive ways. Give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am not a widow and I will never see grief. Right? No one in John's day would have thought that the Roman Empire would come to an end. It was so powerful and dominant as the world's superpower. No one would have thought Rome would fall. Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She was burned up with fire because the Lord God judges, uh, who judges her is mighty, is mighty. Here's what we have to look forward to, is we can celebrate freedom from abusive authority. Abusive authority. Here, Babylon, right, this, this world empire, this, this dominant society that opposes God, abuses its authority over the people that she enslaves. Where she sits as queen and says, I'm not a widow, I'm self-sufficient, I don't need help, and she is excessive and sensual and indulges, verse 7, in her ways. You see, for John, and, and there's a, that, that's, that's Rome. That's the Roman emperor. One of the ways that, that, that we see that is, is um, the way that they hoarded grain, how Rome hoarded grain. So in the Roman Empire during that time, there were, there were places in the empire where they were suffering with famine and a lack of food and a lack of grain. But Rome, the city, always had an abundance of it, grain and other things. Uh, see, the government would give out free grain to the citizens of Rome, while other places in the Roman Empire would be suffering. They'd have high prices on grain, while the people in Rome would receive it free from the emperor. It's recorded that Emperor Claudius, he, he, he ruled in the first century, in time of Christ. He provided uh, insurance for those merchants who brought grain on their ships. So as they crossed the Mediterranean Sea, Right? Uh, a lot of times, ships would, would end up uh, crashing, you know, storms and, and whatnot. And so what, the, what Emperor Claudius did, he said, well, if you bring grain to Rome, if for some reason your ship busts up, crashes, we'll, we'll cover the costs. No worries. And the reason he did that was so that, that Rome would always have a lot of grain while these other areas of the empire would suffer. He also would tell them, if, if you didn't have Roman citizenship, you give grain to us, to, to Rome, we'll give you Roman citizenship. We'll give you these, these extra uh, perks. We'll give you some tax exemptions if you keep giving to, to Rome. So there was a big incentive with the merchants and those who you know, um, drove the ships to make sure Rome was heavily supplied with grain and other things. So much to the point where other people in the empire would be suffering Without it. That's just one example of how, of how the emperor, the government, abused their authority. The Bible says that that authority was, is supposed to bring justice to its citizens. That, that its rulers were to rule in mercy and to walk in righteousness. But the rulers and the emperors of the Roman Empire were, were, were not like that. Right? They used their authority and abused it for their own selfish gains. And when Babylon falls, right, all of that will come 
to an end, right? We, we see that even in our days, right? It's just so common around the world, right? Even in, in own governments, we read about, we watch about, right? Just, just uh, people in, in high authorities abusing their powers in order for selfish gain, right? And can get really disheartening and discouraging, right? But the good news is that that's all going to come to an end. Yeah, but we're still going to see that now because the Babylons of this world are still, are still going on, these Babylonian-type empires and rulers. But one day when Christ returns, he's going to put a complete end of the abuse of authority. And we as people will experience freedom from corruption and abuse because we have a perfect king who is bringing a perfect kingdom that we have to look forward to. So that's the first thing we celebrate, a freedom from abusive authority. Let's read on in verse 9 as we continue here about Babylon's fall. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Back in verse eight, uh, 9, right, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways. Now, on one hand, right, when it when it talks about this, uh, uses the word sexual, right, it, it is a, a spiritual thing where where uh, people are committing spiritual uh, adultery against God. But it's, it doesn't end there, right? There was also a lot of, of just sexual practices that, that Babylon promises would satisfy, not just in the Roman Empire, but all Babylonian empires, that promises that, that, if, that if you give yourself in, in this way, you'll find ultimate meaning and joy. So here's what, what Christ brings an end to and what we can experience freedom from. We can experience freedom from self-destructive sexuality. Self-destructive destructive sexuality. That's what, that's what Babylon was promising as the kings of the earth shared in this. See, God gave the gift of sex, right, to be enjoyed, to be celebrated. Sex is like a fire pit. It's like a fire pit. Or it's a fire. It's like a fire, right? When a fire is in a fire pit, right, it keeps you warm. It, it, it kind of brings people together in community. But that same fire, if it's taken out of a fire pit and, let's say, put into a house, will be destructive. It'll burn the house down. That's why those portable fire pits that you see that you can carry around have instructions that tell you, okay, use the fire pit in this way, but don't put it in the house, right? Don't use the fire pit like that, right? God has given us, right, the beautiful gift of sex, but he's also given us the, 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 the directions, right? How it can be destructive, but also how it can be enjoyed, right? And the Bible teaches us, right, that, that sex is this beautiful gift to be enjoyed, right, in, in, in the beautiful boundaries of a covenant relationship, right, between a man and a woman in marriage, Right? It's, in, it's in that context right, where it's like a fire pit that, that brings warmth and, and, and brings community together. Anything outside of that is like taking, a, taking that fire pit and sticking it in the house. It might at first look cool. I got a fire pit in my house. But eventually it's going to burn that house down. That house down. See, Babylon is offering 
offering these pledges saying, do it this way. Don't care about the boundaries. But it's going to come with a cost. And when Jesus returns, right, he's going to put an end to all of that. And we'll experience right, a, a world and a kingdom free from, from self-destructed sexuality. But not just that. He's going to give us a freedom from materialism. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood, products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle, and sheep, horses, and carriages, and slaves, human lives. Right? Notice here, right, in, in, in Babylon, notice, notice the order, right? List all these kinds of materials and resources, and only at the very end, does it say slaves, human lives, right? Kind of, and it might be showing us the devaluation of, of God's image bearers, of humanity, where they're placed at the bottom of the list. This is a picture, right, of materialism, right? Babylon promising that you will reap all of these riches, all this stuff, if you've just follow her, and live in her kingdom. It's chasing after stuff. The same is true today, right? There are so many appeals to, to, to buy things and, to, and, and to, to own certain products and uh, be in certain you know, fashion circles that, that feels like, gosh, like, unless I have this thing, I can't be happy. Right? Once you hear about the newest iPhone, isn't like, dang, I gotta get that. My phone's old. Mine's just a 13. That's too old. I gotta get the 14. Right? It's, it's weird how that allure of a feeling like, you know, at first I was satisfied, but now that I see there's something newer and better, I gotta have that. It's that appeal to think that something that I can buy and own will ultimately give me pleasure. I think of the, the, one of the examples here of, of gold. Right, and how people in John's day pursued gold, just like people in our day pursue gold at all costs. Maybe we read about uh, Brazil right, and the Yanomami people group, right? one of the most isolated people groups in the world right, in Brazil. What happened were, were these illegal miners who came looking for gold, entered into Brazil, thousands of them, and, uh, and, and they've been accused of, of introducing disease, and, and violence and messing with the environment where, where the, um, where the, where the uh, indigenous people live to where they are now, they're getting sick and they're dying. All because these thousands of miners who entered illegally in Brazil are out to get gold, right? People do crazy things to get rich, right? That's the way of Babylon. Here's the crazy thing, right? When we read on in Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth, the streets of heaven are made of gold, <laughs> right? The, the very things that people kill after now is going to be so common in the kingdom of God. The things that we think now, man, I can't live without that car or that home or that new electronical device or, or that new 
new product. In the end, we're going to feel like, man, why was I chasing after that so much? Why did that thing have such a hold on my, my heart? Right, even as followers of Jesus, we can still feel that, that need to have that thing that, that, that we just feel like is going to make us happy, that we'll do anything for even though it's unwise to get it. Well, when Christ returns, right, the presence of sin in our lives, even the temptations will be put to an end. I can't imagine temptation being gone because right? we, we've always experienced it. But when Christ returns, even that appeal to chase after materialism and stuff will no longer be there. He'll free us, free us from that temptation. Let's read on verse 14. It says, The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer and sailor and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and crying out, weeping and mourning, Woe, woe the great city, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour, she was destroyed. Right? So for those who invested in Babylon, past as well as future Babylon, when it's destroyed, will be so bummed. And their sadness shows that their hearts were aligned to Babylon and not to the kingdom of God. I love how uh, Pastor Tim Chester put it. He said it like this. It seems John, he's inviting his readers to mourn with them over the collapse of the glories of Rome. But as he does so, John sets a trap. Those who lament the fall of Rome reveal the extent of their compromise. Right, and, and, and whether it's those who love Babylon will be sad when it's gone. But in contrast, as we'll read, those who are citizens of heaven will rejoice because they know how wicked and destructive Babylon really is. Let's, let's look at verse 20. In contrast, not weeping, verse 20, rejoice over her, heaven. And you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutes, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all those slaughtered on the earth. Right, Babylon, again, these societies and kingdoms that want to live apart from God, they look powerful, they look beautiful, 
and it looked like you want to be a citizen of it. But under that beauty is, is death. They're deadly. Right? Verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and saints. Right? They persecute and kill God's people. But also all those slaughtered on the earth. Here's the last thing we can celebrate and look forward to experiencing in the future is freedom from injustice. Freedom from injustice. For the Roman Empire, right, they persecuted uh, God's people at different stages of the empire time. Not, after, uh, not long after John, one of his disciples named Polycarp, who was a, uh, who was a bishop, like a pastor in Smyrna, which is modern-day Turkey, he was killed for the faith. His, his martyrdom was the earliest record recorded of someone dying for the faith outside of the Bible. How, how the record goes, he was, rest, he was arrested for being a Christian. And he was taken to the Roman authorities. This is in the second century. And he uh, knew the Apostle John. He was one of uh, John's disciples. And they arrested him. And because he was really old, over 86 years old, they felt bad for him. So he said, you know what, Polycarp, all you need to do right, is, is say you're no longer an atheist. Right? Worship Caesar. Now, Christians in their day were called atheists. Uh, because they only worshiped one God. And for the Romans, they're like, no, there's a lot of gods, so you're an atheist because you only worship one God. Um, anyway, um, they told Polycarp, just, you know, just, you know, just say you're not a Christian anymore. Jesus isn't your king. Caesar is king, and, and, and you'll be okay. But this is what he said. And I'll quote him. Polycarp said this. He said, 86 years have I served him, Jesus, and he has done no wrong. How can I blaspheme my savior and king. And so they told him, well, we're going to throw you to the wild animals. They're going to eat you to death. And he's like, okay. Then they told him, well, okay, if you're not afraid of dying from the wild animals, we're going we're to burn you to death. And so they, they, they're going to nail him in order to be burned to death. But he said, you know, you don't, you don't have to nail me. I'll, I'll just stay there. And so instead they tied him and they, they surrounded him by wood and they started the fire. And, and for some reason, now whether this part is legend or actual fact, it was recorded that as they lit the fire, it didn't get onto Polycarp. So one of the officials ordered a soldier to stab him instead, and then and they stabbed him. And that's how Polycarp died for the faith. Right? That kind of injustice, that kind of persecution. So, so here when it says back, back in, in this last verse in 24, in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, that's like Polycarp. But that's also like those Christians, uh, our brothers and sisters right now living around the world who are being killed for their faith right now, right? The injustice that they're experiencing and will continue to experience until Christ's return. The injustice that we see with, with, with governments, right? As we, we know about history and the different world wars and how millions and millions of people have been executed by their own government, right? The genocides that have happened throughout human history, all these kinds of injustices, all the way down to the injustices that we experience in our personal lives, right? Maybe not, right, not death at all, but injustices for being followers of Jesus. Injustices for holding on to his word when our workplace or, or when someone in, uh, uh, in our sphere of friends might mistreat us or do us wrong because of our faith in Jesus. That injustice, all of it, though we experience now in this life, will come to an end with the fall of Babylon. So here's, here's the encouragement, two quick encouragements. Because 
of this freedom that we have in Christ now and that we will experience. The first is this. We can live with hope. Maybe we've been discouraged recently, discouraged by the things we've been reading about in the world, discouraged about the things we read about in our nation, discouraged by the things and injustices we see in our own lives. We can come to a point of just being like, oh man, like, is it ever going to get better? And we can get deflated and discouraged and not even want to continue life, right? But what this chapter reminds us is, no, all the evil and the injustice, it will come to an end. It will. We got a taste of it at the cross when Jesus right, took upon himself our sin, right? Injustice. And that is proof that God is a just God because he punished our sin on Christ. So he will punish all evildoers, all wickedness when Christ returns. So we can then live with hope, not, not down and depressed, because it's going to ultimately get better. It's going to get perfect when Christ returns. So live with hope. And second, real quick, we can live with gospel generosity. Right? Because we're now free from living under Babylon, we're, we're free from living under uh, trying to chase after all these material things that Babylon was promising, we're now free right, to worship God through our generosity as we love others well, as we serve others with the resources that God has given us. And we see that ultimately in Christ, Right, who left the riches of heaven to be born on earth, right, to live a perfect life in obedience to God, who did not give in to the temptations of Babylon, but instead honored the Father in everything that he did, who died on the cross for our sins. For every time we lived as, as a Babylonian citizen, Jesus died for every one of those sins, and he rose again to give us new life in him. And so one of the things that we do to remember and celebrate what Christ has done is by taking communion. And so we've got the communion cups available on our back table, and you're welcome uh, to go and grab it um, if, if you weren't able to grab a, a communion cup. And we're going to have a time to be taking it together where we remember and we reflect on uh, the sacrifice of Christ who brought about, about this freedom that we experience now partially that we will experience in, in the future. Christ's death on our behalf. Right? He gave up his body on the cross. He became human so that we, so that we could be brought into the family of God. And so we eat of the cracker that represents his body broken for us. And so I encourage us, um, as a follower of Jesus, uh, to take of the cracker now and to thank God for what he has done for us. Jesus shed his blood on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, a life for a life. And so we drink of the juice, reminding ourselves of his shed blood on our behalf. Let's go ahead and take of the juice together. one or you can just give at the box in the back so let's continue to celebrate the freedom that we have in jesus uh, through singing uh, to him let me go ahead and pray uh, for us father we thank you for the cross we thank you for jesus and the freedom that he has brought and the freedom that we have yet to experience from living in a broken world that's filled with injustice and and violence and temptation 
that one day, all of that will be gone. Can't imagine for sending your son Jesus that we could experience this freedom. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.